0: Welcome to Baldhead Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life, featuring the expository preaching of Dr. John Katzen. So Mordecai sends back that message to Esther, right? Maybe he says, "You have been raised to this prominent position for such a time as this." What are you going to do, Esther? Are you going to go in and defend your people in front of the king? Or are you going to be quiet and say nothing? What are you going to do, Esther? What's your choice? Well, Esther decides, you know what? I'm going to obey my God. And I am going to go into the king. And she sends back a message to Mordecai. I will go into the king. And she says this, and if I die, I die. This is a woman of faith. Of course, she wants to go on living. But you know what? If following God means she has to die, she'd rather do that than live a lie. And so she says to Mordecai, all right, I'll go into the king. But if I die, I die. But This is what I want you and all the Jews in Susa to do at this point, okay? If I'm going to do this, I need you guys to fast and pray for three days and three nights straight. Can you do that? Mordecai's like, yes, I can do that. And so he gathers all the Jews and Susa, and they begin to pray, and they begin to fast, which basically means they didn't eat anything but maybe drink some water. And it's interesting, in the book of Esther, before, Mordecai had sort of been leading. But at this point, Esther takes over. Esther's in charge. So Esther's thinking, you know, how do I get the king's attention? He hasn't even wanted to think about me. He hasn't wanted me in his presence for a whole month. How do I get his attention? How can I get him to invite me into the throne room? Oh, she goes, I know what to do to get his attention. Think about it, she's been married to this guy for four years, and so she puts on a dress that he knows Xerxes likes. She puts her hair up and does her hair the way he likes it. She puts on his favorite bracelet and his favorite earrings and does her makeup the favorite way, all the way down to the favorite ankle bracelet that she puts on her ankle. And she's like he's gonna notice me and then i can imagine she walks back and forth in the area in front of the throne room she stands in that inner court and and maybe she stands right in front of the throne room so she knows that xerxes can see her maybe she struts a little bit back and forth smiles you know Waves her hair around. Again, trying to get Xerxes to notice her. Maybe she waves her ankle bracelet. I can imagine the kings inside of the throne room barking out orders. Let's invade Egypt. Build that tower. Destroy that pyramid. Dig that tunnel. Was that an ankle bracelet? Whoa. It's Aster. And Esther sees him and Xerxes sees him. And I can imagine they make eye contact. And again, she throws her hair around. She winks at him and he winks back. And maybe once again, he's overtaken by her beauty and her character and how wonderful she is. And he waves for her to come in. And Esther's like, yes, finally, this is great. This is awesome, you know yes i'm invited in but it's interesting in the book of esther she's got to touch the tip of his scepter until she touches the the tip of his scepter she doesn't know that she's safe and maybe he's allowing her in just to hey stop irritating me i'm trying to do business here in fact kill her she doesn't know that until she touches the scepter then she knows she's safe, and so she gets closer. She walks in and gets closer and closer and closer. And then she reaches out and touches the scepter. Whew! Yes, she's safe. This is awesome. She's been accepted. She bows down at his feet, and can imagine King Xerxes asks her to stand up, takes her lovingly by the hand, and Wow, it's so good to see Queen Esther again. She is such a beauty. She's so wonderful, he's thinking. And he asks her, Esther, what is it that you want? Please tell me. I haven't seen you for so long. You must want to be in my presence for a reason. What is it that you want, Esther? And Esther says, Oh, king, if I have found favor in your eyes, grant me this one request. What is it, Esther? What is it, Esther? Xerxes says. What is it? In fact, he says, I'll give you up to half the kingdom. Just tell me what you want. I mean, this shows what an idiot Xerxes was, right? Can he actually give Esther up to half the kingdom? Maybe, but it would have been really difficult. I mean, it shows what a rash thinker and and how he just lives in the moment. Whatever you want, Esther, I'll give you half the kingdom, even though he probably couldn't do that. But Esther doesn't want that. Esther's got a plan. She's smart. And she knows to get to the heart of Xerxes is going to take some time. And in particular, if you want to get to the heart of Xerxes, you're going to have to go through his stomach. So Esther goes, hey, king, will you come with me to a banquet, a feast that I've prepared for you? King Xerxes is like, yeah, I love that, food and drink. And then she says, please, please bring Haman also. And I can imagine Haman's in that same throne room. And again, he's second in command and he hears that and (gasps) perks his head up. Oh, I'm allowed to come? Whoa, you know? So Esther, she's smart. She knows that King makes these important decisions in the middle of parties while joyfully drinking and eating. And and it seems like Esther takes advantage of this, what I would call a character flaw. And Haman also, he's like, oh, I'm prideful. Another character flaw. And Esther says again, if I can get these people to this party, then I can start to move this plan forward. So Xerxes is, all right, let's go to this party. Haman, hey, come on with me. Esther wants us to go to a party. Haman's like, well, we got a lot of work to do here. I don't know if we should do. Xerxes like, hey, you coming with me to the party or not? Well, I guess it is a quite honorable thing for me to be allowed to come to your party. So Xerxes go and Haman go off to this party and There they eat and feast and have a great time, and sadly, Xerxes starts to get a little drunk because he drinks too much wine, drinks too much, and washes it all down with various drinks that slowly make him inebriated. At the end, Xerxes says, Hey, Esther, i love you esther but tell me this i know you didn't really want me to come to this party i know that's not what you really want please tell me what is it that you really want and esther looks up at xerxes i can imagine she's playing with her hair and again flirting a little, you know, with her big puppy dog eyes, you know, maybe she touches his hand a little, and she says, you know, please, king, if I have found favor in your eyes, please grant me this one wish. Xerxes is like, wow, you're so beautiful. You're so awesome, Esther. I've missed hanging out with you. And he is so taken with her that again, Xerxes says, I'll give you anything up to half the kingdom. What is it? What is this one thing you want? I'll give you everything, anything you want. Think about it. Esther could have had half the kingdom, which is a massive kingdom at this point. She could have had wealth and money, but Esther has a plan to save her people. And he's so moved by her. He'll give her anything. But then Esther replies, You know what I want, king? Yes, tell me. You know what I want? Okay, yes, yes, what is it? I want you to come to another feast tomorrow. Just you and Haman. I can imagine Xerxes is thinking, I don't know, is that really what she wants? Man, that's confusing. All right. Well, if that's what you want, so Xerxes agrees and Haman leaves the party and he rushes home and he is so excited. He is just full of joy at being offered to come to this party where it's just going to be Xerxes, his queen, and him. Talk about the pride you know, going through Heyman. Talk about the big swell of the head that he's got. It'd be like being invited to a party with just the president and nobody else or just the most famous person you can think of, and it's just going to be you and LeBron James or you and whoever you just admire. It's going to be you and him or you and her. That's what it was for Heyman, and he is so excited. Like I said, he starts to go home, but then... He walks to the king's gate, and he looks over, and he sees Mordecai. Ugh, that, Mordecai? And again, guess what? Mordecai's not bowing, and Mordecai is not trembling in his presence. Mordecai is just standing there, doing nothing mordecai can't stand him and he starts to get angrier and angrier and begins to fill him with fury and rage but he controls it he's haman he's the second in command he smiles he keeps it all under control he doesn't give away how angry he is but then when he gets home He calls his wife, Zeresh, is her name, Z-E-R-E-S-H. He calls his wife, Zeresh, to him. And then he calls his whole family. He had ten sons. Amon did ten sons. He invited all their wives, their kids, everybody to gather around him. And he begins to tell them of how powerful he is. And he begins to tell them of all his might and how he rose to power through the ranks. And, you know, he'd start out small and he slowly moved up and now he's second in command. And he invited all these people to tell them how awesome he is. Talk about an arrogant person, right? And then he ends by saying how he had just been honored by the king. And that he, and this is the exciting news, he wanted to tell maybe after a half hour's speech of going through all his wonderful accomplishments, Haman finally said, you know what the exciting thing is? I've been invited to dine with just the king and queen tomorrow. It's just going to be us three. Isn't that great? Yes. I can see Zarich is like, yes. More money, more jewels. We'll be, We'll be rising in prominence. This is awesome. But then he goes, listen. His face changes. And then he shares how all this honor, all this joy, pales in comparison... And here he starts to get angry, and here he starts to, I can imagine, cry, and he starts to pout a little. All of this pales in comparison to Mordecai, who will not bow down to him. All this honor means nothing compared to the Jew, who will not bow down to him. And he rages, and he pouts, and marches back and forth, and he kicks the dog, and he kicks the cat, and he just throws a vase or two, you know, he just just furious over this one man who will not bow down to him. You know, it's amazing. He has all this great stuff happening in his life, but it all pales and means nothing because one man won't bow down to him. I mean, how selfish is Haman? How self-absorbed I can imagine. He's crying in the corner and totally upset and So Zeresh comes over, his wife, right, and pats him on the back and says, listen, calm down, Hamy. listen, calm down. Let's not wait until March the 7th to kill Mordecai. We're going to kill all the Jews, you know, in all of Persia on March the 7th, basically a year from now. But before that, let's kill Mordecai now. In fact, let's put Mordecai and let's hang him on a gallows. Or or some people think that word for gallows and Esther should have been a big stake. You know, let's impale him on a big pole. And let's do that now because surely the king hates the Jewish people as much as we do. So let, let, let's do that. Okay, in fact, tomorrow, Haman... Before you know, you go to the party, go early in the morning, ask the king to kill Mordecai, and, and then after you've impaled Mordecai on this huge pole or hung him on this gallow, then you can happily go to the banquet. Whew, the burden lifted because Mordecai is dead. Let's do that, Haman. Haman looks at Zarish and He thinks, you're a beautifully, wonderfully intelligent wife. Yes, let's do that. So Haman asks that the gallows or this huge stake be built. Either way, if it's a gallow where they hang him, or whether it's a stake that they impale him, this stake or gallows had to be 75 feet high. That is massive. That would have been... The tallest thing in Susa at that time. Historically, one of the highest buildings would have been 40 feet high. They didn't build large structures back then. To build a 75-foot high gallows or stake, this would have been ridiculously high. Everybody in Susa would notice it, and you know what? It would send this message in a grand way. Don't mess with Haman. and they would have been able to see it. ...for miles around. Ha 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 This is awesome, Damon thinks. And I can imagine he... ...goes to bed that night... ...puts on his little nightcap... ...sticks his thumb in his mouth... ...goes to sleep as he hears the workers... ...pounding and nailing all the wood needed... ...to make... ...these 75-foot execution machine that's going to kill mordecai tomorrow well across town king xerxes also went to bed but unlike haman he can't sleep and when he can't sleep what he likes to do is get his servants to read to him the history of the kings Number one, it makes him feel good to hear about his ancestors. But number two, it's also pretty boring stuff. And it'll slowly knock him out. And You know, if you read really boring stuff, you start to get tired and you just fall asleep. So one of his officials goes and grabs one of the Chronicles of the King off the shelf. And it's interesting. He just happens to pick the book that has the story... Of how Mordecai had warned the king of the plot to assassinate him. The official begins to read through the night and into the morning, reading about all the chronicles of all the history of all the great things Xerxes had done and some of the people before him. And just as dawn's about to break, he gets to the story how Bigtha and Teresh, these two men, were trying to kill the king, and the king's reminded once again of the plot that had happened some four years earlier, and how this Mordecai had warned them of Bigtha and Teresh's plan, and had saved the king, and so King Xerxes asks the official, had anything been done to honor Mordecai? And the official looks through the book and says, no, no, nothing's been done at all. Now, do you think it was coincidence that the king just happened to remember Mordecai? And that this, this, the, this event that had happened four years earlier, do you think it was just coincidence that he was reminded of that event right now, right at this time? No. Like I said, God is working everywhere behind the scenes in this book he is all over the story. Well, Xerxes is thinking, how do I honor Mordecai? And you know, it's starting to get light and dawn's starting to break. And Xerxes is thinking, I can't think of anything. Nothing comes to mind. How can I honor Mordecai for for saving me? What can I do? And so the king asks, is, is there any official out in the courtyard, you know, outside the throne room, out outside the palace here who can give me some advice on how to honor Mordecai? And so the official runs off, pokes his head out and comes back and says, hey, you know what? Haman's here. He just walked into the court. So Xerxes says, all right, bring Haman in. And so they bring in Haman and Xerxes asks him, if you were going to honor someone, Haman, and you wanted everyone to know how pleased you were with this person. How would you do it? And Haman thinks, oh, Xerxes is going to honor me. He's thinking about me. And the Haman gets excited. The king wants to honor me. And he thinks, so what would I want? What, how would I want to be honored? So Haman says, whoever this person is, I can imagine with air quotes around person because he thinks it's him, whoever this person is, I would ask for the royal robes to be put on this person and that this person then be put on a royal steed with the royal seal. He could wear that and then he's paraded around town and, and then have an official walk in front of the horse and, in fact, have, have the official in front pulling the horse and saying thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor xerxes says what should he say again that this official should say thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor and haman smiles to himself because he thinks Xerxes is just playing around with me he knows he wants to honor me and he's gonna do that and it's gonna be for me 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 and Xerxes is thinking that is an awesome idea and he turns to Haman and and he says all right Haman let's do this. You know who the person is that I want to honor, Haman? And Haman starts to think, it's me, it's me, it's me. And Xerxes says, I want you to go and honor. And Haman's like, yes, it's me, it's me. I want you to go and honor Mordecai the Jew. And Haman's like, yes, me. (sighs) What? What? Mordecai the Jew he's probably thinking in his head are you insane not Mordecai my mortal enemy but he's got to control himself because he can't flip out in front of the king and he's got to honor the king's request so the king tells Haman to go find Mordecai put on him royal robes and and then Haman is supposed to parade him all around the town and Haman is appalled. No, this cannot be happening. But he has to obey the king's command. So guess what? He goes to the king's gate. And guess who's not bowing down when Haman shows up? Mordecai. But he finds Mordecai, who's by the king's gate, still not bowing, still not trembling in Haman's presence. He calls over a servant and the servant puts on Mordecai a royal robe and Mordecai can imagine looks at the royal robe and looks at Haman and thinks what in the world is happening here then he waves and another official brings over a, a huge beautiful horse and he goes you, you gotta get on that horse Mordecai Mordecai's what Haman says get on the horse so Mordecai gets up on the horse and Probably then brings that royal seal. And maybe drapes it around him. Showing that this is a proclamation of the king. And then Haman looks at the horse. Looks at Mordecai. Grabs the horse. And begins to pull Mordecai around town. Then he pulls out this proclamation. He begins to read it. Maybe, you know. Walking through the market, everybody staring at him and Mordecai, Haman begins to read Thus it shall be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Mordecai's like whoa that's me. Hey, 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 hey man, I can't I can't hear you. Could could you say it a little louder? thus it shall be done to whom the king wants to honor Uh, come on a a a little louder i can't hear you thus it shall be done to the man whom the king delights to honor and haman is completely humiliated and mordecai is smiling and joyful and here the tables turned Haman who wanted to be so honored by Mordecai he has to humbly praise and honor Mordecai and Haman for the next hour two hours walks him all around the capital of Susa saying thus shall be done to the man whom the king delights to honor and everybody's cheering and yelling and yay Mordecai yay Mordecai and Haman completely humiliated and he rushes home and cries to his wife Zeresh I can't believe I had to do that says there it is so embarrassing and Zeresh responds well if if the king is raising up Mordecai well th- that could lead to the fall and ruin of you Haman and Haman's like, thanks a lot, Zarish. that's exactly what I needed to hear. And just as they're about to argue, in come Esther's servants to collect Haman for the party. So Haman has to pull himself together. He has to stop whining and crying. And, hey, I'm now at this party enjoying it. And, you know, he starts to talk with the king and Esther. And they start to eat food and drink. And he's got to act all happy. Then at the end of the party, Xerxes asks Esther once again, what is it esther these parties are great but what is it that you really want what is it that you really want so esther being the smart woman that she is she knows now is the time to pounce and she begins to tell king xerxes how her people are being attacked And how her people, the Jewish people, are being attacked by a man. One man who's out to kill all of them. And in the process, by killing all the Jewish people, this one man is going to kill me as well, King Xerxes. Because I'm Jewish. (gasps) And Xerxes is furious. And Xerxes is mad again. Esther is so smart. She's fed his belly. She's helped his egos. She's reminded him once again of how awesome she is. And if she ever left, how much he would miss her. And when he finds out she's a Jew and that somebody is out to kill all of her people and her, he is furious and asks who that man is. And Esther then turns. And looks at Haman. By this point, Haman's probably crouched down in his chair, maybe trying to hide under the table. She points her finger at Haman and says, it is Haman, the enemy and adversary of my people. He created this law and it is that law that he is carrying out that will kill all of my people on march 7th a year from now it's haman that king looks at haman and he is so enraged and he is so angry and he's also an idiot right because he forgets that it was haman and king xerxes that helped to write that law But all he thinks is it's Haman's fault and he leaves the room in a rage and Haman gets scared and I can imagine him climbing out from under the table and he starts to go towards Esther and he pleads for his life and he gets down on his knees. Please, 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 Esther, please don't kill me. And it talks about how all the blood had left him. He was so afraid, he was pale, white, white as a sheet, he was that afraid, and how he began to plead, and maybe he stood up to to, to grab her, to, to please, please not 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 kill him. And in the process of doing that, he stumbled and fell on top of her, and it was at that moment King Xerxes walks back in. And he sees Haman knocking over his wife and Haman himself practically on top of her. And and Xerxes says, are you trying to assault my wife right in front of me? And he calls for his servants and they grab Haman and they place a cloth over his face. And in the Persian culture, when you put a cloth over a person's face, that means they're dead. That means they're about to be executed. That means they are no more And they're dragging him out to be killed. And one of the servants along the way, he's like, hey, wait, Xerxes, you know what? Haman has been building a 75-foot pole to impale Mordecai on. And Xerxes looks at Haman and looks at Esther. He stands up boldly and says, good. Then tonight, Let's impale him on the same pole that he meant to impale Mordecai on. Let's impale Haman on it. So they dragged Haman up to the top of the 75-foot pole and (sighs) impaled him and killed Haman. Well, the enemy of the Jewish people was now killed. Yes! The mastermind behind the plot to kill all of the Jewish people were was killed. Yes! But you know what the problem was? This terrible plan was supposed to take place a year from now on March 7th, right? Well, it's a rule that if any law is made or established, any law of the Medes and the Persians that was established, once a law was established, it could never be broken. So Mordecai and Esther had to come up with a plan. They couldn't just not follow through with it. They had to come up with another law to help them work this out. They had to come up with a plan. So Esther and Mordecai decide, you know what? We're going to write another law and send it out throughout the land. So the, the messengers get They write the law, and they hand it to the messengers. The messengers get on a horse, and they go around Susa, and they begin to read out. The next city, they begin to read out. And this law said this, that on March 7th, a year from now, when people rose up to kill them, the Jewish people were allowed to defend themselves to the max, well, Mordecai, before he sent this law out, Xerxes had given him his signet ring. And I can imagine Mordecai, you know, dropping some wax there and tsh- sealing it with his signet ring proving that this is a law of the land that the Jewish people are allowed to defend themselves. And then Xerxes made Mordecai basically Haman's job. He gave it to him. He made him prime minister. Now, where Haman was second in command, now Mordecai's second in command. It says in the book of Esther that the Jewish people began to stockpile weapons. And I can imagine they practiced defending themselves. They practiced with their swords and their spears. And it says that many people in the Persian Empire converted to the worship of Yahweh out of fear of what might happen on March 7th. It's interesting how God used this to convert people to following him. Well, it says March 7th rolls around. And you'd think nobody would rise up to kill the Jews, knowing Esther's a Jew, knowing they can defend themselves. But there are evil people who rose up anyway. And on March 7th, the Jews defended themselves and wiped out most of them. Again, it says in the book of Esther that there were 500 people killed in Susa, the capital alone by the Jews. And it says that throughout the whole Persian kingdom, there were 75,000 people killed on that day, March 7th, by the Jews in defending themselves. Well, Esther and Mordecai, again, Mordecai's prime minister essentially now, and Esther is a loving, well established queen, and they sent out another decree that March 7th, this day, should be celebrated by all the Jewish people. And it would be called the Festival of Purim, P-U-R-I-M. Now, why is it called the Festival of Purim? Because remember, right? How did they cast lots? Well, we don't know exactly how they did it. It might have been dice, but it was called pure, to draw lots. They were throwing pure, P-U-R. And so what they used to establish... March 7th, as the day to kill the Jews. Now they're saying, we're going to call this the Festival of Purim, named after the casting of lots. And on this festival, which still occurs and still celebrated today, the Jewish people, they exchange gifts and have parties, and they celebrate the deliverance of the Jews. You know what's interesting to me? that the book of Esther is right next to the book of Job. I mean, the book of Esther is about how God intervened on behalf of his people and stopped this horrible genocide from occurring. But then the book of Job is also about how, how, how basically the question is, why do bad things happen to good people? And how do we look at God in the middle of suffering? Because anybody who has followed Jesus for any part of their life will tell you that following Christ doesn't mean your life's going to be perfect. And I don't want you leaving this series on Esther thinking, well, if I follow Jesus, everything's going to work out great. Everything's going to be perfect. No. The book of Job reminds us that God works in ways that we don't understand. But I do want you to know this. This that when God seems silent. Like I said in the book of Esther, God is never mentioned once, but you see him. You know he's working behind the scenes. And sometimes when you are facing suffering, when you are facing things that will hurt and you don't want to face them, but if you are a follower of Christ, if you know Jesus as your Savior, you can be encouraged. It says in Romans eight twenty eight. And we know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. You can trust that no matter what, if you know the Lord is your Savior, even if the sky seems silent and you wonder where God is, he's there. He's working on behalf of his child. He's accomplishing things for your good. Do you believe that? Do you trust that? You know, first of all, do you know the Lord is your Savior? Have you asked Him to save you? It says that all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Just ask Him to save you, and He promises He will. Just say, you know what? I am going to put my faith and my trust, my loyalty. And I'm gonna follow Jesus. There's lots of gods I could choose to follow, but I'm gonna choose to follow Jesus and I'm gonna follow him the rest of my days. You know what, if you've done that, you are a child of God. I just wanna encourage you, follow him and don't give up. No matter what the world says to you, no matter whether you wonder where God is, don't be discouraged, keep following on. Cause he's working on your behalf for your good and for his glory. Thank you for listening to Baldhead Bible Podcast. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. You can comment on our Facebook page or email us at baldheadbible@gmail.com. At if you would like to support this podcast, please check out our Patreon page at www.patreon.com/baldheadbible. Baldhead Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life. New episodes added every week.